All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is Behind the Wheels, a podcast for all my music lovers out there. I am DJ Artistic. I am a DJ based in Los Angeles, California. I would like to introduce you all to my co-host, EB. EB, what's good? What's going on? I am EB. I am based in the planet of Brooklyn. I'm a blogger, content creator, and writer who is in charge of everything blackity black. Everything it is. We we just finished off with Black History Month about a week ago. So, you know, we are still kind of feeling that blackness, that aura. We're feeling it. Like, yeah, we are in it. So, I mean... Let's get, get on ahead to it. Um, one thing that everybody's been talking about the last couple of weeks at this point is this, uh, I mean, Kanye period. Kanye just finds a way to keep himself in the news and on social media, just no matter what he's doing or not doing, it's always going to be talked about. But in this case, it's more so about the genius documentary that he has out there. And um, for people who, I mean, I don't talk too much about him. I'm not a Kanye hater, but I'm just not a fan of who he's become, I would say. Right. And with that, it's like I haven't had a desire to watch it, but everybody's saying that even if you don't like him as a person now or even then, they say it's just a great documentary. But I don't know. I feel like I might get to it. E.B., have you watched it yet? I haven't watched it yet because I'm like you. I don't really like to talk about Kanye, um, but the reviews from the doc have all been great. I think he's one of those people who he has reached like his iconic status. So yeah. we won't be able to like fully detach as a society. But like I, from yeah. what everybody's saying, the documentary, uh, it reminds you of old Kanye and you kind of have to look past his shenanigans now. That's what I've been hearing. I heard that it kind of shows you like that, that even when he was delusional back then, that it he was delusional in a way that ended up helping him out because he, he right. believed in himself more than anybody else. And I can see that being motivational and folks have also talked about how much his mom was really like a deep part of like everything he did and, and yeah i mean that does lead, lead to some uh, some sympathy i would say because losing that especially how abrupt it was it wasn't like she had you know a disease right it wasn't a natural that, that, thing where she was just getting yeah. older or she had cancer or something it was something like an yeah. accident and i think that's when we started seeing kanye kind of unravel like slowly but surely yeah. and that's how we ended up with who we have today. So I'm glad yeah. that the doc uh, kind of focuses on her part in his life. Um, just to remind us that, like, he wasn't always, you know, he, there's always been a little bit of who he is now inside of him. But he wasn't yeah, always sure. as, I, I want to say, like, unhinged as he is now. Like, like his yeah. mother kind of grounded him. Um, and after he lost her, he just kind of started going left for, for me i don't want to speak for everybody but just for me that's how i see it i feel like it was almost an overnight transformation it was like as you saw yeah. you saw flashes of him being kind of out of pocket at times and you know doing things that you know even if there was a positive out of pocket you know like <laughs> right you know but but after after his mom yeah after his mom passed, shout out to like, george bush yeah george bush you know <laughs> mr w you know so so i i, I kind of get that and, and with that um even looking at just everybody who's who's surrounded him, a lot of the artists who've been working with him recently have been saying positive things. Even recently, even to the point of of more delusion, like even yeah, we saw the game. The games just mentioned something about how how Kanye did more for him in two weeks than Dre did for him his whole career. And I'm like, you just mad because you didn't get that Super Bowl? You mad because you, know? you was home in your backyard with the projector on the yeah. side of your house watching the Super Bowl. It looked dope. Not, it, it, look, dope. <laughs> it looked dope, but you was mad because yeah. you were not actually there performing on stage. And I mean, yeah. come if if Kanye's done more for the game, 
like what where's the evidence of that like we we've hear we've heard what dre has done for the game like we we've heard yeah. but when is the last time we heard something about a game and you was like oh that's hot yeah i mean the thing with game he's one of those artists that i could say without any type of like bias anything on that side he's always made good music but because of you know his character the, the yeah. social media antics and stuff a lot of folks don't really <laughs> take it as serious i would say so it's like whenever i hear game stuff it's like i almost forget sometimes like he, he can actually rap or he I can think, actually make good music but it's just yeah the last album he does I heard, so much the last yeah. album i heard was the one a couple years ago i think it was a it might have been a double album i'm not sure if it's a double album oh, yeah. or it was just documentary a part one two. and two yeah, I think it, it was a uh, it was double. Yeah, documentary two. Documentary it was a two. double. Then he dropped like a two point five. It was something like that. But... Yeah, he dropped a two point five. Yeah. That was the last thing I heard from him. And it was it was a nice album. But yeah, it's it you know the game is one of those people that if we talking about some of the greatest MCs of all time or people who like are at the top of their game all the time, as dope as he is, I'm not thinking about the game. I'm not naming him. I get it. I mean, I feel like even as a West Coast rapper, it's tricky whenever we talk about game because I feel like he came at a, at a point in time back in 2004 when L.A. was at his absolute lowest point ever. Like we had a strong run in the 90s. Late yeah. 90s, we kind of lost it in 97. We got it back in 99, 2000. We had Snoop, Dre came back. We had even the, a lot of one-hit wonders in 2001. But mm -hmm. by 04, it was like L.A. was dead. He was the only rapper between then up to like the – Almost the jerking era who really had a presence, but it's like, even when we talk about West Coast legends, like a lot of folks will mention him, but it feels like for one, because his sound was not all the way West Coast back then. Like when he came out, he had everybody else uh, working with him, even though he was with Dre. He, right, he right. Had, he had the Timberland beats. He had even Kanye back then. So, mm -hmm. and he rapped real New York. Like he was known for being a New York sounding rapper who came yeah. to LA. So with that, it's like, he has kind of a weird place in history because I feel like, the thing, the thing about him is that as big as he was for, from L.A. and even nationwide at the time, it didn't really lead to anybody else from L.A. getting shine. Versus like by 2010-11, when Kendrick got big, it was everybody from L.A. kind of Everybody was blowing up. Kendrick, yeah, yeah. Nipsey, YG, Dom Kennedy, and even the Jerkin movement, even the, the New Boys had, had the club hits. We had the, um, even Pac Div. So I feel like Game was just the isolated, isolated star where no, nobody else was able to succeed except for him. So... Almost similar to Nicki to me, like, and of course we Along love Nicki Minaj, same lines, but it's yeah. like I feel like Nicki Minaj basically, she was the most dominant female rapper. Where eight straight years on BET, she was the only one who would win. But then yeah. by then when Cardi B and them came, it was just a whole new wave of female rappers. So I feel like the labels are to blame for that too. I feel like yeah, a lot of times the labels, of course, yeah. it's the labels. But in, and then yeah. in that instance, I gotta ask myself like, all right, if you were the only one, or I won't say the only one, but you were the the prominent one, and you were the one who was most visible. And, yeah. you know, we praising you for, you know, putting us on or doing what you're doing. But yeah. there was no competition out there. So I'm, mm, I'm trying to think, like, yeah. were you really that good or was it just because you were the only one? So we had nobody I mean, else to compare you to. I mean, I can see that. I mean, because it was like everybody from the West was supporting them. Like, we got we got one. Like, Drake got somebody else. He he did. He had Snoop. Hitman kind of flopped with 2001. But it's like, all right. We all supporting him versus having like at, at that time I love Crooked Eye and Bishop Lamont and those types, Glasses Malone. I like them just as much back then. Just as they much. didn't have the same firepower. Yeah. So it was that type of deal. But I feel like as you said, your game is like a borderline, like I'm not gonna say he's a legend, but he he had an imprint that, that lasted yeah, for a long time. He definitely that, had an imprint. Yeah, yeah. So I give him that. But uh, we're gonna see what happens with that whole uh he had a whole drink champs interview. We're gonna see how, how the rest of that plays <laughs> out. So we're going to see. So let's go ahead and get into it. So 
Uh, speaking of the past and throwbacks, uh, we, our first segment is called the Rewind, the, the Rewind segment. With that, we'd like to highlight artists who made impact back in their day. It could have been a few hits, uh, uh, multiple hits, whatever it was, and we feel that they may or may not be unsung, but we just want to highlight them on our episode. So for this episode, who would you like to highlight for your Rewind? I got to go old school with DeBarge because they are, mm. well, you know, one of those musical oh, families yeah. that has just always been around. And, they're like, you know, you think of like the Jacksons, you think of the Winans yeah. if you go in gospel or the Clarks. But then DeBarge yeah. is like right there, that sweet spot where it's a, yeah. the entire family, like every member of the family is so talented. <laughs> so got to highlight them this episode. They are out of Detroit, Michigan, but uh, relocated yeah. to Grand Rapids. Um mm-hmm. Tommy and Bobby actually uh, started the group Switch. And everybody knows uh, I Call Your Name and They'll Never Be. Actually, I Call Your Name, uh, their siblings, some of the DeBarges were actually singing the backgrounds on that song. But um, Randy, Mark, and Elle, they branched out um, after uh, Tommy and Bobby. And they started a group. Bonnie joined them a few years later. And then they started going by The DeBarges. Um, because Bobby, you know, had that success with Switch and he had that a little bit of pull at Motown, L got to audition and uh, sing and play piano for um, Barry Gordy. And Barry Gordy was so impressed that he signed them right there on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, the the first iteration, I guess, or the second iteration of the group, it was L, Mark, Randy and Bunny. Um, James, Bobby and Chico, they came later and then L and Bunny left, uh, you know, solo deals. But the barge is basically known for great songs like All This Love, I Like It, Stay With Me, A Dream, Love Me In A Special Way, Time Will Reveal, Rhythm Of The Night, You Wear It Well. Like they, a lot of their music is so foundational, not only to R&B, but also to hip hop, especially in the 90s, because they were going back and sampling those songs. But they had uh, six albums as a group, the whole group, before um, they broke up. And they they had the basic story like they had like trauma with drug abuse because of child abuse that they endured and sexual trauma they had going on. <sighs> so yeah, they were never yeah. really able to like get their footing. And L kind of broke off into a solo star. And that kind of is what disrupted the group. He wasn't the first to go solo, but I think at the time he was the most reliable. So the label mm. was kind of putting all their chips in one bag with him. Um the song All This Love, he actually wrote for Marvin Gaye because he was such a big Marvin fan. I heard that before. Yeah, he wanted that. he wanted Marvin to sing it. I'm guessing Marvin passed on the song. So wow. they went ahead and recorded. And I'm like, okay, it, it might have been it might have did something for Marvin, you know, around that time around uh the early eighties. It might have uh give, gave him another hit or two. I don't know. Like I can hear him singing yeah. the song, but I love the way that the bar sure, yeah. sings. I can hear him singing it, but I love the way that El Debar sings it. Um, like I said, their demons really like they did them in because after you know the drug abuse, they got dropped from Motown and uh, L went solo. Of course, I think Chico had uh, some solo projects. Bunny actually ended up going solo, but they never really had the same success as they had as DeBarge. Um, and then of mm. course, like one more chance, you know, Biggs, one more chance. You know, straight from Stay With Me. And you got Mary, who (laughs) did Share My World, and she did A Dream. And then you got Tupac, you know, using A Dream for I Ain't Mad At You. You got Blackstreet Mm -hmm. using A Dream for Don't Leave. Uh, And it might sound crazy, but my favorite sample 
it's still rich boys throw some D's. Like I mean, it's the way it comes in. It's the way it come in. It's technically yeah. it's not DeBarge's switch, but it's the same thing to me. And that's still like yeah. my favorite sample of anything that a DeBarge has done because like the way that song starts off, it's still yeah. you play that still and it, it's I'm gonna still go crazy. So gotta show love to DeBarge for the rewind. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope they're, you know, battling those demons yeah. and getting over everything they got going on. Yeah, I would say my favorite remake or anything on that side is probably when Teddy Riley and Blackstreet on the same album as Don't Leave, they had the uh, Time Time of Reveal time of re reveal. remake with the uh, Jesus is Real. Like the way yeah. that Teddy flipped that was fire. But um, yeah, yeah, I feel like uh, it's dope that even like with L, I saw his uh, Tiny Desk last week and he. He, he sounds good again. He yeah. still sounds good. I think uh, he he gotten clean at one point around like oh, damn. I guess that was like ten years ago now, and and then yeah. he relapsed again, and now he looks to be doing well. Uh, speaking yeah. of um, time of reveal, Janelle Monae actually has a remake of that song that uh, mm. she did for one of the uh, Big Boy projects, I think, and it ended up being on her um, her first album that people don't remember, but. Oh, it, wow. It's one of those songs that I love. Like it's gonna go hard. It's got like a, it's got a bit of Miami bass to her version. So it's it's okay, like fun. Okay. It's real fun, and I like the way she sounds singing it. Yeah, that's the ATL and her doing that. All of, yeah, Take, taking it back to some Ghost Town DJ it, style. Exactly. Yeah, and and I feel like um, it's crazy too how like DJ Quick ended up working with L and James around like the rhythmalism period ninety eight yep. and two thousand and balancing options and a lot of times I couldn't tell them apart because they sound so they sound similar. So they sound like identical at Yo, times. So I will yeah. say, like the you know, the falsettos are amazing. But there's one yeah. clip. If, if anybody goes on YouTube, you'll see the clip of um, DeBarge in studio, and I think they might have been singing "All This Love." And my favorite okay. thing about it, like in studio recording the song, but my favorite thing is Bunny with a cigarette in her mouth recording, and she's giving other people their notes while they're struggling. <laughs> To oh, hit wow. the notes, and she's doing all this with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth like a car mechanic. So <laughs> I always got to give love. Always love to Bunny yeah. the Bars, but always love to the whole yeah. family. Yeah. Shout, shout out to them for real. And El still is making tracks. He had the track Lay With You with um, Faith, Faith a couple Evans, years yeah. ago. Yep. Yeah, so so I, I feel like they definitely deserve all the credit in the world. And they samples, I would say, behind Isley, they're, they're top five in there when it comes to uh, their samples leading to more classic hip-hop and even R&B. Yeah, don't it? Yeah, you can't have hip hop, modern day hip hop, without the foundation of a DeBarge sample. Like it's been done yeah. for so long. Like we going on what forty years of, yeah, forty years since they have been a group. So yeah, at this point, yeah, yeah, at this point, it's been forty years. So you know, it's that's part of the foundation of hip hop at this point. It really is. Yeah, salute to uh, DeBarge, and and with that, my my pick is a little bit similar because it's a similar era and similar as far as the family legacy goes. Yep. So. Mine is Gerald Levert. So man, yeah, but Mr. Gerald Levert, rest in peace. Um, of course, most folks know that he's, of course, legendary OJ's Eddie Levert's son. So, and he had, uh, of course, his brothers um, were also. They had a group called Levert. So rest in peace to Sean as well. Yeah, tragic to lose both of them back to back in the late two thousands. But, but with Gerald Levert, I feel like he's one of those who, I would say, he's definitely unsung. I know that he had the uh, unsung episode, and with that. You can just kind of tell that he he had a lot of impact and he never reached the heights that he wanted to reach. But when you look back at everything he did, he accomplished a lot and made a huge mark. So going back to um, even before they had uh, Levert as a group that was, uh, you know, putting out pop, pop, pop go, uh, goes my mind. They um they're doing covers back in the day and it felt like 
uh, Eddie probably saw it as, oh, you know, that's cute. My son's doing music. But then when he when he saw that they're actually talented, he's like, all right, well, I'm gonna support y'all. And they had they had those hits back in those mid mid and late '80s. And I could tell, especially looking back, that he probably had a him and Johnny Gill. It's crazy that they got uh, an LSG together because they had a similar trajectory in a sense. It was yep. like they had a lot of success in the uh, mid late '80s, early '90s. They had some, but it was like they probably weren't. They, they were never the biggest, biggest artists in the game, but they both had very mature, heavy voices that were almost too heavy for the sound of the time mm-hmm. and even for their age group. So once they got into that kind of grown folks R&B, it made a lot of sense for both of them. And, and they had even more success to me in that, in that sense, because they they had that, that that sound and feel. Because, I mean, Gerald sounds just like Eddie when he was 15 years old, probably. Just like him. I feel like as soon as he came out the, like out the gate, him. he was probably crying like a baby sound just like Eddie. So... So when you heard Casanova, it's like it's kind of funny hearing it because Casanova has such a light beat. It sounds like it could have been a new edition or troop song, but <laughs> but instead of having a high pitched voice, you hear that super heavy. Oh, Casanova! It's like, hold up. like but it works though. It it still it works. works. So yeah. it's so it's, it's dope seeing that. And with Gerald, the thing about him was beyond just being a great singer, he was a maybe even better writer and producer. So with Gerald, he produced for so many different artists. He was producing for Stephanie Mills, of course, for Chris Williams. Um, James Ingram, Patty, Patty LaBelle. He had collabs with everybody from Tina Marie. And um, and he put out groups such as like Men, Men at Large. And he also had that group he put out called Rude Boys, who also came Man. from Ohio just like him. And written all over your face. Like I still play that. I feel like still. that's one of those early 90s songs that I wish the younger folks knew. Because I would play it every party if they knew it. But only, you, had, you had to be there to, to, to know it, I feel yeah. like. If your mom or auntie don't play it for you, it's like you might not know it. I played it. I played it on Sunday at a at a brunch party, and it was where you could just tell the age divide. Everybody who was like thirty five and up was like, "Oh, this they is got my, it. my song." And some folks was like, "Hey, who is this? It's dope." And I'm like, "Oh yes, yeah, uh, Gerald Levert produced that Rude Boy." So, and then seeing him live perform that on Apollo, they came out with the most early '90s jackets with the colors on them and the all the uh, the. The, what's you call the rhinestones on them, and it felt so early '90s. But he he always stole the show, and even seeing when they had the BMU, the Black Men United, the group that came out back in '94, yeah. they you only had know. the one song, of course. You will know, yeah. but you know, uh, D'Angelo wrote that, and uh, with, with all those singers, you had basically 90% of the game at the same time. You had uh, Dwayne Wiggins, you had um, Stokely, you had the bald head dude I don't mention no more, you had um, Tevin Campbell, you had Albie Shore, yep. uh, you had Rude Boys up there with everybody. You had the Barge, you had Elder Barge Elder up there, Barge, with all of yep. that with all of them on there. Gerald stole the show and he, he took claim. He said, My background sang, he made them his background. He said, I don't care how many hits y'all got. Aaron Hall was there too, everybody was there, and he said, Y'all my background. So the fact that he stole the show on such a legendary song like that just shows. The power he had and, and the respect that he commanded, and and one thing as a producer also is that I thought it was dope how back in like '94 uh, he he had '94 uh, '95 he produced two songs for artists who were like on polar opposite ends of the spectrum. In '94 he gave Barry White "Practice What You Preach," which was mm-hmm. like straight up grown folk, you know. '95 he made Subway, you know, uh, Subway and Seven Hundred Two, little game, and yeah. it's like seeing he, he can make a hit for somebody who had been in the game for for twenty some years. And then for somebody who was a teenager, back-to-back years just show how dope he was. So I feel like he definitely was, uh, deserves a lot more uh, love and respect. And then, of course, he had LSG around 97. They had My Body along with the other tracks that they put out. And that was just a perfect combination, seeing him and, um, and Johnny and Keith together. I feel like it was just the perfect angle. It was where they all had success for about 10, 12 years plus at that time. And mm-hmm. and the, the, the young aunties loved them and still do it at this point. So... 
So uh, much love to Gerald Levert for sure. Yeah, no, Gerald is absolutely one of my favorite artists of all time. Like, and then you talking yeah. longevity. I don't think Gerald Levert has ever released a bad album, not in my eyes, because I will play yeah. them all. And I think my favorite Gerald song that's not a Gerald song is uh, Anita Baker's Whatever It Takes. Like, yeah. that is yeah. absolutely one of my favorite songs. And I can, I wanted, I've always wanted to hear his version of it. I want to hear Gerald sing the song because, mm. like you said, he has such a heavy voice. Even as a young man, he has such a mature <laughs> voice. He sounds just like his daddy. You know, he sounds like he got, yeah. like, you know, he's just swallowing a pack of Marlboro lights and <laughs> he's coming out. No, but he's, but it sounds so good the way he does it. And yeah. man, whether like his duets, he has a, that Bobby Womack, That's the Way I Feel About You remake with Mary J. Blige. And then he has uh, yeah. Carpenters, They Long to Be Close to You with Tamia. And his <laughs> versatility is yeah. unmatched. Like, Gerald could, today, if he was still alive, I feel like he could still have stuff that's radio-friendly. And sure. his album yeah. would still sell like crazy, even though he's a veteran artist. So, always I think love so, for, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I agree with that. So. Much love to Gerald Levert and uh, and El DeBarge for sure. DeBarge, I should say, not not El. Well, not El, just El. We gonna be talking about the whole DeBarge the family, the whole family, <laughs> the whole family there. So yeah. So moving on into our fast forward segment. So um, uh, the fast forward segment, we like to highlight artists who are making waves, who are who are on the rise right now. And we feel like they have a lot of potential to blow up and to make some noise in the industry. So for this episode, Eb, who would you like to pick? Uh, I'm picking Will Jordan and. If that name sounds yeah. familiar to anyone, um, he is a Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, but uh, he wrote the hook to uh, Nicki Minaj's Fly that Rihanna sings. Mm. So okay. That's, okay. That's, like, that's like where he's most recognizable from. But he's out of Tacoma, Washington, which is... Oh, wow. I, I really had to stop myself because I don't know huh. much about that region as... It relates to music, and especially like black music. Like I, I, I know Se Seattle yeah. was big for like uh, rock and grunge for a while, yeah. but I, I was like, oh, okay, I got to do more research on that. But he's out of Tacoma, Washington. Um, in 2013, he released his debut EP called "In Case It Rains," and then in 2015, uh, "Journey to the Land of the Lost," and uh, then in 2018, an EP called "Deep Sleep." Um, he's had Plant City, Limbo, and uh, his latest project is called Be Good, and it's a collaboration with E. Jones, who, of course, is a member of Ninth Wonders production team, the Soul okay, Council. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Will is, I I love him because I can hear a bit of all of his influences in everything that he does, and his influence, like his list of influences, is crazy long, and it's refreshing when you can hear that someone is influenced by someone and not like directly copying them or trying to be them, which is yeah. what really made him stand out to me. But, uh, you know, of course he's influenced by the greats, the Mikes, the Princes, Stevie Wonders, but he he's like such an eclectic ear because he's listening to Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock. And then he's going and listening mm. to Commissioned and Kirk Franklin. And then he's listening oh, wow. to like Big Pun and Dwele and Bilal and Wu-Tang and Outkast. So, Coming from uh, Washington, it's just wild that his ear has picked up all of these different sounds. But I think yeah. that he is, I will definitely say in the past two or three years, probably one of the most talented that I've heard. Um, 
I didn't discover him in the beginning at all. I heard Be Good first, um, his project okay. with E. Jones. I, that was the first thing I heard. And I was like, oh, well, who is this? Like, I want to know more. He messed around and found his Spotify and went through each of his EPs and his albums. And I was like, oh, this kid is something special. I don't mean to call him a kid, but, you know, it's something yeah. special here. Like, he's got it. And I, the, the story of even how he became an artist is crazy. I think he was expecting, he's always been in love with music, but he was expecting a child and mm. he was giving himself three months to actually make it work in music, or he was going to go get that nine to five to take care of his kid. Yeah. And, and you know, he's Grammy nominated now. Like, so I, I wow. love, I love that story about like, you know, just pursue your passions, follow your dreams. And he's definitely an example of that. Basically, just like keep pushing, yeah. Because yeah, just keep a lot going. Of times, yeah, I always wonder about artists because I've met so many people, especially in LA. There's so many folks that you meet who tell you that I had this, I, I was connected to so and so, but I ended up focusing on work. So it's dope to see somebody who said, "Look, I'm gonna give it that last go." And the fact that he was actually responsible and said, "If it doesn't work, if it doesn't I need work, that job, yeah. <laughs> three months, you yeah, know, yeah, diapers are expensive, so I, I'm gonna have to yeah. go and do something." But no, nah, yeah. it worked out for him. He's still doing his thing. Um, his last single, I think, came out in August of last year. So I would expect that we're going to get new music uh, sometime in this year, um, just because okay. the last album was released in 2020. So, Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, uh, Tacoma, Tacoma is it's outside of Seattle, basically. And Seattle actually, I'll say Seattle does have a, a, a much stronger black population than people would probably expect. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the biggest artists, of course, to come from there as far as uh, hip hop. I mean, okay, the biggest, biggest is Macklemore, of course. Macklemore is from there, but beyond that, um, yeah, beyond that, uh, Sir Mix a Lot. So Sir, Sir Mix a Lot Sir came from there. So you had the okay. uh, Posse's on Broadway. So I they, didn't know that they kind of they kind of adopt to a West Coast style. It's still the West Coast, even though yeah, it's, yeah. it's north of uh, us, north, north, yeah. north of LA. But it's so it, it does make some sense because they have a lot of um, even like um, some of my friends, like uh, our producer, the lady, her husband's from Seattle. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends from high school who are from that area. So. They do have some presence up there, so I can okay. see they have live. So I'm gonna have clubs, to do my research now. Live, live music performance venues. So even even Spokane, Spokane got a lot of lot of folks up there who are pushing some things. But All you right, know, they, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So it, it it just sounded yeah. crazy to me when I read it. I was it makes like, sense. Yeah. Tacoma, Washington, like what? Like what's what's the vibe up there? Like what are they yeah. listening to? But it, yeah. like you said, it's still like a West Coast vibe. It's just. Yeah. Northern West Coast. There's Northern, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We got, we got dropped off in different places after, you know, great migration. <laughs> Some of us went a little bit further up. So, yeah. yeah. That's what it's about. So, yeah. So, salute to, uh, to Will Jordan for that. So, yeah. You definitely got to check him out. Uh, my pick for this episode is going to be Earth Gang. So, Earth Gang, um, I discovered them, I'm going to say, five years ago, four years ago. Uh, typical Twitter debate. We were just kind of talking, and I was, I was mentioning how I felt that. For Outkast to be the biggest group from Atlanta, like in history, one of the biggest groups from the probably the biggest Southern group overall, I would say. Yeah. I felt like uh, most artists from Atlanta don't have an Outkast influence when it comes to their sound. And it might sound offensive, but to me, it's actually more of a compliment to them being so unique that yeah. you can't really imitate them because what they did, only they could do. And when I said that, somebody was like, it's a couple people like Earth Gang who sound like them. And mm -hmm. maybe three, three of the responses said the same thing, like, check out Earth Gang. And I'm like, all right, let me listen to them. So... I heard them and I'm like, okay, it does make sense that they do have kind of an outcast influence. But the more I listened, they actually remind me more of Phil Mob. And if you remember Phil Mob, I, of who, course, uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they, had, they had those tracks, "The Sick of Being Lonely," "The yeah. Baby Bend Over," and yeah, and they had they had a similar. You could kind of tell they kind of came from that outcast era where they, the music was still more soulful. I would say that the production was still more soulful than like 
than being straight crunk at the time, which is now called trap, I guess you would right, say. Right, right, right. So, in that sense, it, it did make sense. So with Earth Gang, they're actually signed to, uh, they were Dreamville under J. Cole, and they are the type of group that's been around for a minute. They they actually had their first album album really nine years ago, back in like 2013, and they've made a lot of collaboration albums. Um, they have uh, a group that they work with, uh, Spillers Village, and they, they have a lot of different songs they've made with the Dreamville Circle, but... I would say uh, the, the biggest song they've been on so far is Down Bad. It was on that, um, it's called Down Bad at least. It yeah, was yeah. on that uh, that Dreamville compilation that had J.I.D. and Cole on it. Everybody on that song was gigging off. It's one of those kind of like futuristic sounding kind of trap beats. It's a trap bounce to it, but it's everybody just rapping with, with their own cadence. So it's, it's a dope uh, look. But my favorite song that I heard from them was on one of their previous albums that was called Blue Moon. So Blue Moon just has a real like kind of a soulful boom bap. It felt kind of like like a, that did feel like an outcast or like a, um, even like a far side type of song, like something that, okay. that, that Dilla could have did for far side back in 95. So uh, Blue Moon is probably my favorite track from them. And they have a new album that just dropped about a week and a half, two weeks ago. So that new album that they have is called uh, Ghetto Gods. And I've only heard it one time so far, but it has some dope, some dope tracks. I feel like uh, just my own opinion. I don't think they're going to blow up from this album. I think it might take them one or two more. I think they're going to be the type of group that, it's going to take them a little bit longer to really get to that level of exposure because they're not making traditional, like, commercial-type music. So right. they're still kind of building up their crowd. And even with them being directly under J. Cole, it hasn't led to them just blowing up overnight at that level. But the new album has everybody from Future to J.I.D. and Cole, of course, to uh, Music Soul Child's on the main single that they're pushing right now, which is called um, Amen. And the way that they flipped that uh, Just Friends is creative because Just Friends is a classic that we all love. And when it comes in, you, you expect them to kind of trap it out, but they kind of flip it in a different way. And they have, they have the song following that that's probably my favorite on the album called All Eyes On Me. And it's like, you could tell that they're the group that's like, they're doing what they can do to kind of have a commercial appeal, but they're still keeping it true. Like mm -hmm. the lyricism is there, the content is there. It's not just the typical um, um, bottle popping and it's not talking about pushing dope and I got this <laughs> many chicks. So it's like, they actually have, have legit content, but they have a, a modern sound that is a modern kind of like a modern field day slash even nappy root slash outcast slash goody mop that type of they come from that that needs more so than the jeezy and more yeah of yeah, the, yeah. Of, of that lineage. so it's like so, old it's like yeah. old atlanta versus like yeah. newish or like current atlanta yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly it has more of that but because it has that modern polish to it it don't sound like like they're stuck in that era at the same time so they still are using the the triplet cadence at, at certain times but they have their own flair to it so i'm definitely looking forward to them actually like taking off to the next level i mean it and it happens like that sometimes. Like sometimes the the most talented people, it takes a couple of projects before we catch on. Like the general public yeah. kind of catches on. Like the the music, it's not a reflection of the music not being good. It's just that some people just aren't ready, and, and it'll take a minute. So I'm hoping that they have like the success that they deserve. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I'm definitely looking forward to what they can do. So so with that, to everybody who's listening. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we get back, we're going to have a drop with a special guest DJ in the building. And then we're going to have a uh, beat match, which uh, some of y'all might be a little bit irritated with us because, you know. They're going to be mad. Kinda, yeah, they, they might be mad because, I mean, I'm kind of mad we had to pick sides. I'm, I'm I said, mad you know too, what? but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we had to do it. I mean, as we always say, it's so hard for us to figure out who to even use for these beat matches. But yeah. I think we got one. So we'll be right back. We'll see y'all in a second.
All right, we are back from our break. It's time for the drop. So for this episode, we have a special guest on. We have a dope DJ who is coming from the ATL. ATL, Joja, what do we do for you? Of course, Mr. <laughs> Sir Daniel in the building. What's good? Peace, peace. What's going on, everybody? What's up? Man, not, not too much, man. How you doing today? I'm fantastic. It's been, you know, a really great week. I'm honored to be on you guys' show right now because, you know, both of you were legends as far as I'm concerned. Huh? Man, thank you. Thank you for that. EB is, <laughs> EB is you know, uh, the god on Twitter right now yeah. as far as music is concerned. And Art, Art I think I've seen you in, um, I, thought, I think I saw you in Atlanta at the Rock of the Bells. I didn't. I didn't know it was you at the time. Were you there at Amaza, the pizza joint with Rock yeah, the Bells? Yeah, I was there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that was just uh, yeah, yeah. a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. On a Sunday. So I asked, that's crazy. Yeah. After the fact, I was like, yeah. is that? Oh, that's artistic. Oh, that's okay. crazy. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, my folks, uh, Sean Falcon had that going on. So, yes. Yeah, so yes, salute indeed. to you. Yes, salute indeed. to you. So, today we're just going to talk about a little bit of everything involving his music to female MCs and, you know, DJing. So, so with that, I know you've been DJing right. probably around the same time as me, probably since around the late 2000s, I'm thinking. Yes, yeah. that is exactly correct. Um, around 2010, yeah. um, I have been, I'd always had this inclination to music. I worked it in radio for a while. I interned at uh, record labels. Hmm. I worked at HMV Record Store. I was just always around music. Yeah, always yeah. had the hankering. To DJ, but never had. I was always around DJs. DJ Herb, Cowboy, wow. um, a, a lot of heavy JC, a lot of heavy hitters in Atlanta working at the station I was working at, and I always felt like, oh man, I wish someday that I could get on the tables. Yeah. And one day somebody just pointed out to me that there was, you know, there's a lot of software out there to help people mix. Yeah. And that's literally where it started. I picked up a program called Mixmeister and got my oh, first wow. controller and just started playing with stuff, playing with it. I remember those days, yeah, because I, I actually, before I was really DJing at that level, I was on virtual DJ. I had vinyl, so I was doing stuff in the house and producing, like, scratching stuff from vinyl. But as far as my first few parties, it was on virtual DJ because a lot of stuff by 06, 07, you couldn't find it, like, on vinyl anymore. So I, I yeah. kind of went... The opposite way and got vinyl in Serato after that. So so I see you started that mm -hmm. way, but at this point you're a vinyl DJ. So how did how did that happen? Because I feel like a lot of DJs who start off in the digital era, they don't even know how to touch a, a turntable, <laughs> even with Serato, it feels like. So Right. So basically it um it started when I ran into to my sister, uh Peppermint Gaddy, and her partner at the time, um, Lady Marauder had a, a a vinyl pop-up shop, and they called themselves the Eldorado Hotties. <laughs> and they would do vinyl pop-ups around Atlanta. And one day they did a vinyl pop-up at um, Scratch Academy, which oh, I yeah. was attending at the time. Okay. And so I struck, you know, struck up a friendship with them. Every time I saw them, I was buying vinyl. Yeah. And we just struck up a conversation, and they knew I DJed and whatnot. So they were having um, parties. And one night... Um, it was either Lisa or Nora. So it was like, hey, you want to come do a set? And I was like, I didn't even own enough records <laughs> to do a set at the time. Yeah, yeah. And, but I said, but but the spirit told me, the spirit said, say yes. The spirit moved And that's exactly. It moved you. 
That's exactly what I did. I said yes. Yeah. I even bar- I borrowed records wow. <laughs> from a lot of friends. Yeah. And matter of fact, what I did was I decided to do a Mary set. Okay, Yo, okay. I played nothing but Mary. Shout wow. out to uh, to my to my boy Jimmy Valentino. He lent me a lot. He's a, a huge, huge Mary yeah. fan, so he had a lot of Mary vinyl, mm. and he lent me the vinyl so I could do like I think it might have been forty minutes. Okay, and I had enough records to play, yeah. and I got bit bit by the bug right then and there. It hits you right there, and I feel like so uh, I haven't done too many all vinyl parties, but you can probably tell me. Like, mm-hmm. Of course, we know the pacing is a lot different because when it comes to Serato, it's so quick and easy to, to change records to anybody who's tuned in. Who's not a DJ? Serato is the program that most DJs use. If you see us with a laptop, we're probably using actual turntables to control the music that's played, but it's all within the laptop. But when you're on records, you, you're not going to change them that quick because it's like you're letting the song play a little bit longer. And I feel like the crowds who go to those parties are already different because they understand they came from that era when it wasn't about just changing songs every 10 seconds, 20 seconds. It was like, let the whole song marinate. You're letting the whole build up play. You're letting it get to that bridge part, the third verse. So I'm assuming that when you have these crowds, the crowds are, are kind of more engaged and each song kind of catches them in a different angle. Absolutely. Um, you hit the nail on the head when you're when we're doing vinyl sets and shout out to my Wax Fundamentals family. If we're doing um, a vinyl set, if we're doing um, Thank God is Vinyl with our friends Johnny Normal. Yes, you're absolutely right. People understand that if we're doing vinyl, we're going to let a record breathe. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and I think that's what a lot of DJs, you know, Younger, younger, or even older—the ones that just um, stick to Serato—they don't let allow records to breathe, and that's mm-hmm. mostly because I get it. Mm-hmm. The crowd, the attention, attention span is a lot shorter, <laughs> so it's like Man. in order if you, depending on the crowd that you have, the age group, you got to keep their attention constantly. So that's why you have to have ADHD when it comes <laughs> to um, rocking parties. Yeah, but. Yeah. You know, when when we're out there just for the love of music and sharing what we've collected, yes, we're going to let a record breathe. We're going to let the record get to that part that everybody knows, yeah. that everybody's going to sing along to. Yeah. You're going to have enough patience to get to that part, and you're going to love it. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I figured it was that way. So, so I'm going to ask you, so um, uh, what era did you start going to parties, whether it was – I'm, I'm going to say, I'm guessing – High school or college era, like 18 and up, like what what era was that? Because I feel like for me, I started going to parties really around the early, early to mid 2000s, I would say. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a scotch bit older than you. Yeah. So, yes, I absolutely um, was going to parties like, um, like my freshman year of college, which was around 94. Okay. Okay. 93, 94, that era. Yeah. So yes, I, I was definitely, you know, boom bapping it mm. and, and backpacking with everybody going to uh the Patty Hut here in Atlanta and um oh god, what other places were one twelve, you name it, though a lot of different places, um there were a lot of different venues to go to here in Atlanta at that time. So hmm. and of course the college parties, the tri-state parties from the AUCs were, yeah. were massive. <laughs> yeah. They were major in the in the early to mid nineties. <laughs> DJ Precise and all those guys that went to Clark Atlanta and mm. Morehouse and they gathered everybody to have to party. And that's where I I have to say, when I got in college, I got exposed to a lot. Well, prior to that, I was I was listening to a lot of other stuff outside of the North and the and the, the Northeast. Yeah. Right. But going to college, you hear a lot more stuff. You're exposed to different regions of the country. Yep, sure. They used to have parties, um, 
called the latex, latex Louisiana, party Texas. Yeah. Louisiana, Texas. <laughs> and so you got exposed to Master yeah. P, the whole, you know, that the bounce movement, all of those things that I would have never heard if I stayed in New York uh, for all of my life. It makes all the sense. I mean, that's, that's the exact same thing for me going to FAMU. I was born and raised L.A. And then it's where I think I would say as a DJ, it probably gave me the um, like the, the diversity I have because I came from L.A. So coming from there, but going to a FAMU is where, as you said, you hear everybody's music. I think if I had grown up in Florida, I wouldn't have appreciated everybody else's music as much because Florida was still the most dominant stuff you heard, especially my era was like when I got there. Kaya had one of the biggest songs out with my neck and my back. But then you had Trina was still popping. You had Trick Daddy. Then it was Plies, T-Pain, mm-hmm, yep. even when Khaled first came out. And I felt like uh, one thing about it is me coming from L.A., I realized that that we love the stuff that only we knew. We, we love the Sugar Freeze, the East Siders, the DJ Quick mm-hmm. stuff, the same way that like Chicago had the Percolator. I didn't know Percolator until I got the fam you. I didn't know uh, Fifth mm-hmm. War Weeby until I got the fam. I didn't know about... Screw music, go go music, be more club until then. So I feel like going there and just seeing how everybody else reacts to stuff from their hometown. Mm-hmm. Like as an eighteen year old, mm-hmm. is different. Eighteen, you first get there, mm-hmm. you have the arrogance. Like, what is this? I don't, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Yo, this is, what you this playing this for? Y'all Cali dudes, <laughs> yeah. listen, y'all Cali dudes were not having it. The Cali dudes would be posted up. <laughs> Nobody, wow. and, but if as soon as something from the West Coast dropped, oh, they they out there, you know, <laughs> see walking and you know yeah. out in the crowd and, and, yeah. and finally participating. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But speaking of Florida, it's so funny you brought up Florida. I left New York at the age of 14. Um, there was this huge migration in the in the the late 80s, yeah. early 90s of, of people moving from black people from moving New York, from New York, New York to yeah. Florida. I've seen that. And yeah. when I tell yeah. you. I went to St. Petersburg, oh, Florida. St. Pete, 813. And when I tell you, yeah. my mind was completely blown because I got introduced to Jam Pony Express. Oh, yeah. That whole different and style. And that's a whole new, that was a whole new movement. And oh. I, when I tell you, I appreciate it, though. Yeah. I appreciated it. it. But it was, a, they had their own culture down there. The whole, you know, pulling down your levels to talk over the record yeah. nonstop. Yeah. But when I tell you, those tapes would move out of the record stores. It's like everybody had a new Jamponi tape, Jamponi Express tape every week. So I, 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 like you, I grew an appreciation for all different, for the different regions. Yeah. Just from being exposed to different it makes stuff. Sense. The same way for EB. EB was at Howard. I mean, so yeah, it was the every, same thing for you. Know, you. I went up to Howard and I, I, I'd heard Go Go. Like I'd heard Salt and Pepper um, sample or mm. or use uh, Go Go. I've heard Kid and Play, and I, I of course, I knew mm-hmm. who EU were. I knew who Sugar Bear was. Like, <laughs> and I Chuck Brown. But getting there and hearing like Rare Essence and 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 everybody at that time, you know, who was still hot. It was like this stuff I'd never heard mm-hmm. before in my life. And then at Howard, you know, you got people from every, like people from Cali. You got people from upstate. You got people from down south. You got people from Africa. So I was getting yeah. introduced to like Afro beats around the same time. <laughs> so it was like, wow. for, for me, a, a Southern kid who really was an R&B head, a gospel head, you could say, but R&B all the way. It was like it opened my mm. eyes to everything that everyone else was listening to. And I gained such an appreciation, like, Go go and Baltimore Club today. Put that on. Yeah, I'm yeah. loving it. But when I first got there, yeah. I didn't want. I didn't want nothing. I was, I was like, Nah, what <laughs> yeah. is this? Play something else. Yes, yeah, that's, that's how mm-hmm. it feels. And um, so uh, Sir Daniel. So with that in those mid '90s, I was always curious because I'm always trying to find like old videos of like clubs back then, and not just clips for 30 seconds. But I, I want to watch a whole party for four hours and just kind of see how 
how much different it was back then. Because this, from what I would assume, I'll just throw some stuff out there uh, based on just the era of what it was, based on the technology, everything else. I would make these assumptions. I would think that for one, similar to the 2000s and even not as much now, but 2000s, it was still a lot of original music. So I would figure that the Hood Club in Atlanta would play all the, all the down south stuff, but then you had the clubs where I'm assuming it would be the college students and or the transplants who moved there where you would hear more commercial stuff and more even like regional stuff from other places. I would think that was one thing. I would think that, as we said, with technology, uh, there's no way to download MP3. So I'm assuming that, that uh, when it came to music you heard at the club, you were hearing more stuff first at the club because nowadays you hear stuff first on Tidal, on Apple Music or YouTube, mm-hmm. Twitter. So you get to the club, you already know it. But I would assume back then you probably heard a lot of stuff for the first time at the club. And I would think crowds responded to it differently because it was like an, a, a known thing. Okay, we're hyped to hear something new versus now. If they can't sing along to it, they don't really care to hear it as much. But uh, from there, I mean, I'm sure you could tell me way more than just that. But what would you say about that? Okay, so let me take the first part. Now, if you really, if you want to see like the kids, the, especially the Atlanta kids in the club, yeah, go on YouTube and do a search for Sharon's Showcase. Really? Okay. In, in in Metro Atlanta, there was a TV show that came on the public brought the public um mm. channel called Sharon's Showcase, and it was a legit a teen club. They still mm. had teen clubs. And they the the television the, the the local camera guys would go out there and they would shoot the kids dancing and you are absolutely correct wall to wall sweating at that time the Bart Simpson was the dance <laughs> wow so everybody wow. was like going to, you, like most people saw in the TLC right. videos yeah. that's where TLC got oh, it because wow. they they went to Sharon Sharon Showcase and Sharon Secrets um V one o three used to um used to uh, record club nights down here as well. Okay. So even if you if you didn't go out to the club, you could watch it on TV and I'm sure that people wow. there are a lot of people that are uploading Those various yeah. club memories like that onto um YouTube and Instagram. There's an account on Instagram called ATL History. Really? Okay. Blow, blows my mind all the time all the stuff that I have forgotten had happened. Mm. So yes, yeah, so definitely do yourselves a favor and check that out. And you can you can get a feel of what it was like being in the club in Atlanta back in the in the early nineties. Okay. Yeah. Now as far yeah. as um you're absolutely right. I have to give credit to college radio here in Atlanta. Um, especially Georgia State's college radio station, WRAS. They had a, a long-running hip-hop show called Rhythm and Vibes that used mm. to come on at like 10 o'clock every Sunday night. Okay. And I would be planted by my radio <laughs> because I grew up listening to Red Alert and Marley Marl and Chuck Chillout yeah. in New York and staying and literally staying up all night trying to hear all the latest records. And I, when I left, New York, I was like, oh, I'm not going to get any more flavor like that. Mm. But when we landed here in Atlanta, we got WRAS, and they had us up on every, a lot of backpack, they call it backpack music. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of boom bap records. And so, yes, when you would go out and you would hear the stuff, you would hear boom bap, you would hear top 40 stuff, and it would be all integrated, and people loved it. Now, we're talking about the early 90s. There still wasn't a lot of cohesion between natives 
and transplants. transplants. Yeah. Really? Okay. So, okay. So yes. Yeah, so you would have those places that only would like the Royal Peacock would only cater to like the up north kids mm. and would play reggae and boom and uh, backpacker music and stuff like that. Then if you go to a Sharon's, if you go to the Roller Rink or yeah. Club Excess, those places, that's where you would hear the booty shake music. Okay. Yeah. The, um, the King Edward J's, all of them, especially the roller rinks, they had the roller rinks on lock. Really, really. But, but to your yes. point, absolutely, crowd reactions were priceless back then. If you know whoever has footage of us in the clubs enjoying ourselves, it was euphoric. <laughs> it was definitely an experience to be had amongst all these different people at the same time because we were all concentrating on having a good time. That's what it was about right, right then. It sounds like it. It sounds like mm-hmm. it was just a, an era where, mm-hmm. like, I mean, of course, it was Freaknik era as well, so it's like, yeah. Ooh, yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> you saw how, <laughs> how that... <laughs> I can just tell from your reaction. Right, like, yeah. yeah. Reaction. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that, yeah. that brought back a memory. As soon yeah. as you say Freaknik, I automatically think of the first time I was still in high school, and... I these promoters they found they figured out that Freaknik was a great money making scheme, mm. so they would create these concerts at Lakewood Amphitheater. This was back when it was just like a, a, a legit just an amphitheater, yeah. and didn't have all the bells and whistles that it has now. And they would advertise all these different groups. I did see um, tag team. Okay, okay. But all the other groups that they were advertising, there nobody show up. None of them really show up. <laughs> and we see, you know, you spent that money to get in there to see yeah, all these yeah. people. But the real party was out on the streets yeah. and in the cars. As you see the footage that I'm I've sure seen you that guys have seen. Yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. The party was on the streets. I've, absolutely. I've, absolutely. I've seen those videos, and some of those videos probably shouldn't be on there because there's somebody's grandma. That, somebody <laughs> grandma was out there on top of a, a police car, and the yes. policeman was, was grabbing some booty. Like it was it was a lot. <laughs> I can tell There yeah. are a lot of there are a lot of 40-year-old grandmothers. I, I believe yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> You're right about it. Yeah, so because uh, you're mentioning how certain clubs were um I don't know if you you probably went to it, but it was really an ATN up club around 0203 called Club Envy. It also had a different name too. It was right there by the varsity. I think is that Spring Street or something right off the freeway. And that kind of like I don't know if that's downtown or midtown area. I wanna say it might be you know varsity with the big that's, that's midtown. midtown. That's what I was thinking. So it, well, vars- yeah. varsity with the terrible food. Yeah, I yeah, said I mean, it's awful. Everybody who who actually has been knows the food ain't good, but is this it's a landmark because it's there. Mm-hmm. It just stands yeah. out. But yeah, Club Envy, I would go there back in the day and I remember it was the upstairs where it was all down south music. Downstairs was like you said, it was mm-hmm. all East Coast and reggae. And at that point in time, yeah. the East Coast was more so like the Jay Z, Dipset, Fifty Cent, the Joe Budden, the um, the D Block, all that. So you would hear all those types of songs. And then yeah, Rockaway. I mean, uh, um, Rockefeller, of course. Rockefeller. So you had the Benny mm-hmm. Siegel and the Freeway type stuff. The Rock the Mic, Flip Side, Pump It Up era. And then along with the reggae, reggae was big when you had the No Legging Goes and the Get busy, Sean Paul. But upstairs, Man. I remember it was it was the crunk era, so it was eighty percent crunk, twenty percent um, twerk. So it was eighty percent of the night. Mm-hmm. I'll be I'm trying to move out the way. I was only one hundred and ten pounds, so when they playing <laughs> when they playing headbutts, I'm not really trying to be in the middle like that. Ooh. I was like they were oh, yeah. throwing bows, and then I remember one time they had Ying Yang Twins perform, and it was right when they had Salt Shaker and Get Low. It just dropped and. Right before oh. they dropped Georgia Dome, but they still had the whistle while you twerk tracks. So mm. I remember how they had those. I'm sure that was a problem. Yeah, I'm sure that that night was a problem. And I'm 
what would be so funny is when you're in those venues that had to that had those bi-level parties. Yeah. Even though you're downstairs and your element, you can still hear that 808 beeping upstairs. You still feel it. You hear that 808 yeah. and you hear people A-Town stomping upstairs. <laughs> boom, yeah. boom, boom, beat. boom, boom, pat. Yeah. You can hear them stomping upstairs. Yeah. yeah. And don't let Nuck If You Butt come oh, on. And the sound came on. Crazy. It, it's a wrap. It's a wrap when Nuck If You Butt. Still, to this day. Yeah, still, still, to this day. Yeah. To this day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I played it last night and it was it was some uh somebody was having their twenty third birthday and they got hyped. But I'm I'm doing the math like twenty twenty three. You were like you were like you were five, a child. five six. You were a they still got hyped. They, they knew every lyric to it, so it shows. Yeah. yeah, I mean those, and it's so funny to think songs like that stood the test of the test of time. You know, yeah. they still it's a classic. Um, the people made it a classic for right. sure. Yeah. So, you know, they have a lot, that crew has a lot to be thankful for. But I was, like you were saying, I was going out a little, a few years before that. Yeah. So we were talking, you, you talking about uh, Junior Mafia era, mm-hmm. um, no t- Big, um, Kim, Fox, uh, you know, Tupac. Yeah. I, I definitely started, was hanging out in that era and trying to, you know, the whole Bad Boy takeover. <laughs> I'll never forget. Legendary. Wow. Bad Boy came in. And took over Atlanta one summer. I mean, <laughs> it was ridiculous. The amount of oh yes, there was, wow. but it was it was fun. But you could tell things were changing. It was starting to get Hollywood. It was getting Black Hollywood at the time. Yeah, that was that around the time. Yeah. Like yeah. Atlanta was really Atlanta kind of gained its footing and started to become like the center of Black music around the early '90s. You know, even though we still had Uptown doing his thing and Bad Boy coming in. But Atlanta had started establishing themselves. You know, you had um, L.A. Reid. Yeah, LaFace was 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 popping. So that that was so, happening. So but then somewhere around like the late '90s, I feel like the North just was like, "All right, we gonna have one more go." And Bad yeah. Boy just kind of <laughs> was like yeah. everywhere. Yeah. But then after that, yeah. of course, it went back. And now Atlanta's like the the epicenter of black music. It's 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 hip hop. It's R and B. It's jazz. Like producers. Like mm. everything happens in Atlanta now. But that started earlier. Then Bad Boy came in, took over in Atlanta. I mean, they took it back. So they still, you know, they're still the city. But yeah. there was that that period in the late '90s when. It, it's almost like, and I'm I'm from Columbia, South Carolina, so it it was okay. it was hearing um, that period in the late '90s. We didn't really hear a lot coming out of Atlanta. We were hearing stuff coming from the north more yeah. so, or, or a lot more stuff coming from the north. I would say because stuff still came out of Atlanta, mm-hmm. but I would say yeah, after like 2000 hit, it was kind of a wrap. Like Atlanta was kind of like mm. the king. I would say maybe like 2002, 2003 yeah. was when they really oh, started. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 they really started doing the, their thing. The Crunk and Beat right. era was major. Every mm. yes, that was a a major movement. A lot of people ate off the Crunk and Beat era. Eating. A, a lot of <laughs> Rex, and then Rex. and then let's let's think about this too. Uh, One hundred six in Park. Became the major the the major outlet yep. for for young Black America, yeah. and so so you had all uh, this um this new wave of artists coming out that had new outlets 
to, to, to get into the homes of people in middle America on the West Coast. So Crunk and B had no choice but to take over the nation. Mm, you know, every day, every day, if that, that same time every day, people were tuned into 106 in yep. Park. Yeah, and every day. it was just bound to happen. Yeah, it happened every day. I feel like, like looking at that era, it seems like, oh, one might have been the last year where it was kind of parody between each region because I feel like by 02, it was just, 0203 it was it was all the way off. It was like 03 you had 50 cent. He had he had he was probably the biggest star of the year. Then Jay had mm-hmm. his supposedly retired album, but at the same time, that's the same year you had <laughs> the Get Low, you had the Young Bloods, damn, you mm-hmm. had the Bone Crusher Never Scared, and then by 04, as you said, it was Sierra had the crunk and B, and it was like then that led, led into like the um the Cherish Do It Do It type songs and a lot of R and B. Then you get to the dream, they're all Atlanta. So it's like even when it was it was R and B, it had a Atlanta kind of feel to it. Cause even looking back in the in the 90s, a lot of the R and B had more of an East Coast feel. You had like the Jenna Thompson type tracks, you had like the total type songs where it had the mm-hmm. boom back production. But by the time you got mid 2000s yeah. it was more of a, a Atlanta type of sound yeah. to it. So the, the takeover was real. I mean, if you look at it was real if you look at let's take um Danny DeCane. You know, mm. you had you had the whole Bad Boy did their resurgence by reality television. Yeah, right? yeah. So you had a form, a formulated group. But what was their first single? It was a it was a heavy eight oh eight, bare minimum production, but heavy eight oh eight song based on what was going on in Atlanta. Mm. The, um, we ride in love. Showstopper. Yeah. Yeah. Showstopper. Showstopper. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So, so, so Atlanta was dictating, still dictating what was going on musically yeah. outside of 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 our region. You yeah, know? So, I, I can see so. that because it, it's crazy to me too. Because like as um, Eb was saying, I feel like ninety eight, ninety nine, like everybody knew Outkast. Outkast was huge, but like beyond that, a lot of Atlanta music I didn't really hear until later. So I remember yeah. uh, uh, it, it probably sounds random, but my, my favorite song in two thousand, at least one of them, was uh, "Drama Left Right Left." <laughs> yeah, they're playing that on BT. So like <laughs> to, show, to show what the era was, they have a commercial like, "If you want to order this album, call this number because the stores in my neighborhood mm-hmm. didn't have it." I had to call a phone number just to get yeah. that album, but I feel like uh, like Pastor Troy, I didn't hear like "No We'll Play NGA." We ready until FAMU. I got wow. to FAMU and I was just like, "What is this in O two? Because it would come on and they start doing some dance with they their knees, like almost like they were doing a marching, marching band, band, like, yeah, a, yeah. like a, a drum major type. I was, yeah, I was just about to say, yeah. when you went to FAMU, yeah. you were in you were in band country. Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, when you come down south, band. you're in band country. Mm-hmm. Those are songs that that lend to band culture. Yep. Yeah, so songs like uh, Pastor Troy and Archie, Archie and those we guys, ready and still play that. All about Archie. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, you yeah. hear those they won real heavy and here's yeah. here's how they got rich and they got large. Oh. Even though Atlanta is the epicenter of everything in Georgia, yeah. you still got little cities. You got cities like Griffin, mm-hmm. you got Savannah, yeah. you've got um all these you've got um uh, West Georgia, you got all these little different pockets of Georgia that you can go touring. Oh, and when okay, I tell you the okay. pro- the promoters, you got co- there's lots of little colleges, Fort little Valley, college towns and all those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So those guys, those guys, um, they they ate off of going into these college towns, um, you know, huh. and, and capitalizing on the band era because that and that fed into that and that got popular with that, mm. and so. You know, if you notice, like take Pastor Troy for instance. Yeah. Remember, he tried after he got some shine and he got 
his presence grew a little larger. They tried to cross him over a little bit. Arby Kang was definitely with Timbaland and all of that. Exactly. But nothing really. It's like, nah, we don't want that. We want you to, we want to hear, um, your, the song that you're known for. That's you know. That's that, what happened a lot in that era too, because I feel like nowadays that's, that's, that is one of the few positives about about the last five ten years is that like labels will say, okay, well, whoever you are, we gonna keep you at that. You do what you do. But back then, it felt like you would blow up in your region or your city for making what you made. Yep. And the labels say, okay, that's cool. We're gonna take you and put you with Scott Storch or put you with a with a uh, whoever singing on the hook. And like the natives from those cities didn't like you because even like Texas had like Lil Flip. He got big for making what he made, but then the label said, you're going to do yeah. Sunshine. You're going to do Sunshine. you put somebody singing on the hook, singing Shout out to Leah. Leah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like oh, wow. that probably did happen a lot because even, um, and even with Mob Deep, like Mob Deep, we like Mob Deep for what they had. And it's like, I love Lil John, of course, but it's like, I didn't really have to see Mob Deep and Lil John together because it's like, I want Mob Deep to sound yeah. like Burn and like keep it thorough, Prodigy. And I want, I want John to drop mm-hmm. that. Uh, Everything he, he was dropping, and John made everything anyway, but it felt like everything. a lot of times it, it was where the labels were trying to make, kind of force what was hot on, on whoever it was. Confession. I hated that um that Lil John remix of Lean Back. Really? Okay. I okay. absolutely, oh, I, okay. couldn't, I couldn't stand it because yeah. it kind of took away the the essence of Lean Back, the BX yeah. essence. I get it. Uh, no, I get it for sure. Yeah. And it, they try to crunk, they try to crunkify Lean Back, and it, it, just, it worked. Yeah. But then again, everybody's trying to it has their hands in their in the pockets. Everybody's trying to make money and and put stuff on the radio so they can get more spins and get more exposure yeah. and crossover. Mm-hmm. And then you get the quality starts to suffer whenever that happens. I get that because even with me, it's like whenever I would play the original version of Lean Back after the remix drop, people people would get hyped. Wait a minute, mother! And then then the regular beat would drop, and they get mad like, "No, I play the remix." But it's <laughs> like to me, it was a whole different vibe. I feel like the, the remix was actually. Ironically, for it to be Lil Jon, it was more laid back. It had more of a vibe to it. The original one did have harder. Mm. The Scott Storch version just had harder drums. It had more of a, as you said, more right. of a New York thing to it. So a lot of times that would happen. I feel like the, the 2000s was probably the worst period when it came to just, we're going to force you to do whatever is trending. Yeah, remix has to sound like this and like that. So it did lead to some good remixes, of course. Like It's, it's also the last period of dope ones because like Shawty Lowe, they know is probably yeah. still my favorite my last favorite yeah. remix that was really took it to that next level. I would say that, but yeah. I like the um I think they like me remix. Yeah, oh, that I think was Bow Wow and Brad was on it. Yeah, so and and remember like they would throw regional rappers on a, a major hit like the um Black Rob's Woe mm. when they put Brat, they put Digger, yeah. they put Everybody on the remix, yeah. Yeah. it had it like a ten minute, a ten minute long remix. Yeah. that would definitely happen a lot too. So I feel like it was definitely, definitely a dope period. So I would ask, as far as that goes, um, when it came to partying from like the mid late nineties versus like the first half of the two thousands, what would you say was the biggest difference? Because I didn't really see anything until oh two or three, as I was saying. But as far as the parties, I know one thing I noticed that was the biggest drop or difference between the early two thousands versus the end was bottle service. Once bottle service and tables came in, it just kind of like changed it to where now a lot of these main clubs are just no dance floor. It's just only tables. You have to have VIP. Not even VIP. VIP was a thing back then. Right. We still say VIP because we mm-hmm. old heads, but it's really just tables now because you want to be seen. I yeah. feel like VIP back then was a, a separate room where it's like you go into the VIP room. Now it's like you want to be seen on the dance floor, but not on the floor itself, more so in your section. So like, what, what made that different as far as... I know you said it got kind of Hollywood when Bad Boy took over. So was that part of it? Like, 
did the club scene change from that too? Well, clubs definitely changed. Um, I think I don't know if you guys saw this interview with Kid Capri and um, oh, what is his name? I can't. Well, it I can't remember his name. The remix guy. Uh, anyway, yeah. so Kid Capri is is being interviewed. It's like a barbershop kind of interview. Okay. And they talk about the same thing. And Kid Capri straight up said, what made everything change was the strip clubs. Mm, okay. Strip okay. clubs, strip club culture mm-hmm. shifted everything. Again, you know, we Atlanta already had strip club culture. Yeah. But you also, but you were, but you had clubs, you had dance clubs, you had places where else you can go, where you can go to dance to whatever kind of music you wanted to. But the strip clubs was just for that stripping and watching, getting lap dances. Mm-hmm. Every because strip club culture got so huge, everybody wanted that element in their club, yeah. or they mm. and they tried to marry everything in one club, and then everything got like you said, got to be about being seen, got to be about. You know, you gotta have this much money in order to get in the club. Yeah, yeah. Um, holding lines like this was Studio Fifty Four <laughs> was a big thing. Yeah, Having people I believe have it. lines wrapped. Uh, what was that place? <sighs> it was on Peachtree Street. It's not the Velvet one. Alex Alex Gideon is a huge promoter. Was a, is a huge promoter here in Atlanta. Okay. He had he had his clubs would be on Peachtree Street in Midtown. Oh, Midtown. Yeah, those clubs. Those lines would be wrapped around the corner just because, you know, you get a couple names coming through. People were always falling through to Atlanta celebrity wise. Mm. So all of that changed the whole atmosphere of if I'm going out, I'm going out because I want to be seen because I want to be discovered. Mm, Okay. Okay. And so because you have this influx of, and like you said, everybody was coming to Atlanta for the music and to become a part of the music scene. So everybody is trying to be discovered. I, I saw a joke online one time about Atlanta. Everybody is a publicist, uh, a rapper, <laughs> promoter, a stripper, yeah. and they do taxes on the side. You know, <laughs> they, they you know, they, and because yeah. it's true. This is like, yeah. there was a moment where you could, I, I legit think when crisscross, their unsung came out and people and they heard the story of how Criss Cross was discovered at Greenbrier yeah. Mall. I legit think a lot of people came to Atlanta thinking I'm going to get discovered in a mall mm-hmm. oh, wow. because Lennox Lennox Mall at one point was like in the for all intents and purposes off in the white people's neighborhood. Oh yeah, Buckhead. And yeah. And you didn't see a whole lot of us hanging out there. Mm. But when that story started getting out and people started coming, it got real popular. Then oh, you really? started seeing more and more people hanging out to be discovered. Oh, and okay. you would okay. see and you would see people, celebrities walking around the mall. You know, I would see saw Damien Dane a couple times. Wow. Saw T Boz running through Chick-fil-A one time. <laughs> you know, you would yeah. see you would see stuff like that happening. Yeah. And so Atlanta, to your point, became the the land of milk and honey. And when it started getting that shine, when you moved into the mid two thousands, yes, there was a definite shift in the culture. Um, it became about being seen. Uh, now, when you come into this era, it's like there's more sections. There's not a lot of dance floor. Uh, people aren't. I 
people don't really there's really not a whole lot of dancing going on. Yeah. I was at um this spot here on Sunday night shadowing um one of my mentors, DJ Precise. At uh, Rocksteady, which oh, yeah. is a restaurant uh, here. Uh, Wally does that, though. You know, Wally, uh, Sparks does Exa- that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Wally yeah. Sparks. And I was shadowing him, and I was so surprised that, but there are people in my age group. Yeah. People, I mean, they were up there bucking. They were dancing. Wow. They were having a good time. Yeah. And it was just so, I was startled at how many people dancing. were dancing because wow. you don't you don't see that anymore. Yeah. I'm talking about dudes were cutting a rug. <laughs> women were having and yeah. women were dancing along with them. Yeah. So and I think that energy is kind of you have to find them in smaller venues. Yeah, I can, I can see they that. They have to yeah. I mean, they have to be niche. Yeah, venues. I mean, but y- y'all touched on it a, a bit earlier. Um you know, being in the club back in the early 90s where that was the first time that you heard something. You didn't hear it on the Internet. You didn't. You, there were no MP3s and all that. So I think that kind of creates this type of energy and also a bonding experience because you're going to always remember mm. the moment that you heard this for the first time in this club. And everybody yeah. went up off of something that they've never heard before collectively. Like it's if That's it's hot, it's hot. Yeah. Now, yeah. if you hear something, you know, 50 million times on TikTok or if you hear something huh. on Spotify. And you playing it already. When you get there, you're not really gonna go up that much for it because you want to be seen. You chilling in the cut. You got your eyes on everybody else, but they got their eyes on you. So nobody's really partying anymore. Like you, you find pockets of it. Like y'all said, you find pockets of it. But I think that collective energy is just gone right now. Like nobody's doing that. And there's also R and B is at this point to where it's not really being played in the clubs like that. Like. Hip hop yeah. is being played heavy. I mean, there's pockets of R and B here and there, but it's it's like one one hit per year. One yeah, like Every one year, like one, one big, big hit. hit, one big yeah. hit, and that's it. So yeah. I, I'm I'm I guess my question I'm asking is, um, do you see a difference between uh, hip hop and R and B and people's reaction in the club to them, like then and then now? Is it different? Mm. You know, because back then, you know, hip hop was just getting its wings really. Now. Mm-hmm. It's the dominant genre in music. So is there a difference yeah. in the way that people react? Oh, absolutely. Um I mean if we're talking about if we're talking about what kind of hip I mean R and B are you talking about? Are we talking about classics that actually had grooves to it? Or are we talking about whisper R and B what we have now? I'm talking about oh. the classics, but I mean yeah. but the classics we yeah. is that that's what we don't get yeah. anymore. Like we don't get we get like like artistic just said we get like one a year. There's one that yeah. that makes yeah. it and blows up, but everything else is. I, I don't want to call anybody's name out, but it's the it's the new stuff that everybody's doing now. The whisper army. Yeah, you I mean, say, I can say, say what you know. It, yeah. For me, in my mind, yeah. in my mind, I know what names I want to say, but I'm like, no, I'm not gonna say that. But yeah, the whisper R and B, like it, we, we that's that's commonplace right now. But I'm talking about those classic like. Heavy hitting R and B, like it's no question that this is an R and B song. Absolutely. So I'll never forget. There was this, God, what was it called? It wasn't even a club. It was just this venue that was owned by some doctors in Midtown that they decided <laughs> to open up for a party. And I'm talking about you had different age groups, and when I tell you we went from partying to Partying bullshit. I'm sorry. I don't know if I can go ahead. On cuss. The show. All you want to party, yeah, yeah. <laughs> party and bullshit from big yeah. to they dropped 
Square Biz. Mm. Nobody missed the beat. Wow. We were all it's but we all grew we grew up with it and we respected it and we knew it was a groove. We danced with our parents mm-hmm. to yeah. it and we're dancing with our peers to mm-hmm. it now. And it still slaps. Yeah. Um same thing like there was there was I don't know if you guys ever heard of this movement called the Funk Jazz Cafe. And then, yeah, yeah. Um that was Atlanta. Atlanta. I feel I like heard a about lot of people got discovered like around that around that time because that's where they were going. Right. There was a brother by the name of Jason Orr, to what you were saying to your point. There, a lot of people got discovered at Funk Jazz Cafe, Dion Ferris. Yeah. Um, mm. That era. We're talking about people in the same age group, older. It was a nice little melting pot of different people coming to party. And, you know, we play, they played house music, um, which we, we haven't even touched on that, which is right, a yeah. huge, huge part of the culture. A uh, 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 offshoot of R and B and disco, you know those are things that and it's ours. This is what I always preach on our show. Cue points. It's like all of that stuff is ours, and I really hate the yeah, fact everything. that we're abandoning it. Yeah, we're abandoning it because they don't think it's cool because old people listen to that. But it's all ours. Yeah. At some point, you're gonna realize that <laughs> you're gonna miss it if it's gone, yeah, or other yeah. people are, are making a lot of money off of what they call house music. House music. Or it's not R&D. real house. Yeah, yeah. You know? Electronic EDM, whatever they want to call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all of that is black music. Yeah. Techno house. It is. Techno, all of like, is black. All of it. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy because I I didn't know that. Even talking about going to um going to to school out of state, HBCUs especially like. I didn't know that house and especially techno were black forms of music, and I didn't know that anybody black actually listened to it because mm-hmm. I always assumed. Because growing up in LA, you just assume the whites, the Mexicans, some of the Asians love it, but like that was the music that we heard when we went to Express or went to the mall. We we would hear some of that, and we just saw house as being like like that, that stuff that we just didn't care for. But then mm-hmm. when I realized that not only do we enjoy it, but we created it. It's like we made everything, you know. So it's, it's crazy to see it that way. Yeah, all so them, all them brothers in Detroit. Yeah. What up though? They made what up though? they started yeah. house and techno, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. So Chicago, like Chicago, you were saying, all of that stuff yeah. is ours. That's ours. Yeah. We gotta start embracing it. Yeah, we do, we do. Absolutely. So, yeah, but, but before we head on out, um, just to, uh just for fun, what's some tracks you remember hearing back in the nineties and even early two thousands at parties that you don't hear anymore that you wish got more play? I always ask DJs that question because mm. I feel like as DJs, we have different ears, and there's certain stuff that we wish we could play more, but we know that the crowd is not going to always respond to it. But every once in a while, we don't care. We just play it anyway to see who else does know it. But yeah, do you have any songs like that that you wish that, that oh, got a bigger reaction? Or for yes. sure, um, Sasha's "Kill the Bitch." That's it's a uh, reggae joint, reggae, right? That's reggae. Yeah. Yes, wow. it's a reggae joint. Wow. Listen. The, yeah. the the early '90s, mid '90s, you put on put that on or some Lady Saw. But definitely, yeah. if you put on "Kill the Bitch," that wow. that got everybody hyped. That got people crazy. Well, really? And yeah, I I dropped that not too long ago, and it kind of was like eh, kind of a tepid response because there were yeah. quite a few people that didn't know it, and they were like sitting there listening to it, and some of them didn't understand it. Some of the old yeah. heads we knew it and were grooming to it. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely one song I really you know I I liked. And could really sure. get the dance floor jumping. I think because I, I know it, but I don't know it. I feel like if I hear it, I'll be like, okay, I've heard that before, but I don't know it enough to sing along to it right offhand. But it makes a lot of sense. A lot of songs, I realize that too. If people weren't there to hear it, 
it just can't hit them the same way. Like you can't really expect them to really yeah. understand if you weren't there in that moment to even if whether it's the content, even I mean, even the fact that it's called kill the bitch in this this society, <laughs> that might be a little bit too much. That might right. be a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I get that. Eb, you you have a song like that that you wish got played more. You probably have a hundred of them, but I, I mean, I I have a I, do, yeah. I have a lot of them, but um. I feel like because of the era that most of mine are in, they've yeah. been coming back more because people mm. have been having more throwback parties. So they're playing okay. some of the stuff that I would be like, okay, I, I'd love to hear this. They're already playing it now. Like, y'all okay. playing it. Y'all playing it. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of stuff, that's the good thing about the last few years is a lot more throwback parties, which is kind of because of what you said. There's no new R&B that's upbeat that we can really play in a party. So right. people people still crave something to sing along to. They still crave right. it because... My last few events that I did, I've been trying to experiment because I feel like I don't want to be the, the DJ who's getting older, who's only playing older music. But then I realized even kids who are 23, 25, they, they love the same Mario and Keisha Cole and 2000 stuff and even SWV and the even In Vogue type stuff from the 90s. So I feel like yep. it's, just, it's just not enough new stuff that really caters to it. Somebody even said that's the reason K-pop has got big is because there's not enough upbeat like... I say that all type. the time. Like that. So that Daniel's is, voice. That is. I mean, but, is yeah, like, but that's but that's yeah. how they got big. And I even talking to my nephews now, and they're such yeah. huge K-pop fans, and I'm a little that's embarrassed because I'm like I failed <laughs> as an uncle. Like this is what wow. they like. They're like, no, this is what we want to listen to. And I tried. Wow. I just it's not for me. I mean, it ain't it's, it it ain't for me. Hmm. It doesn't work for me. Even when even <laughs> even when full even when full force had their hands on yeah. NSYNC and, and Backstreet Boys. Backstreet. LFO on now, that yeah. was, you can groove to yeah. that. You you felt you could feel it. You know, at least those oh kids yeah. had an understanding of what it was of what it was. But this, you know, I, I'm sorry, though they could be holograms to me and I really wouldn't wow. I wow. know that they were actually actual singers. Actual but singers, yeah, no. They're but yeah. hey. That's not stopping them from doing what they're doing. So big up to them. They did it. Yeah. I did hear one song that was hilarious because it was basically, it sounded just like, um, that's what I like from Bruno. It was the same exact, basically, production, but it had some dope little chord changes. I'm like, all right, it's a little bit of musicianship in it, but I, I don't know what they're singing about, but I'm like, I, I, I got that song. I understand where they were going, but it, it was a ripoff. It was a complete ripoff of what yeah. Bruno did. So that's you know why? Yeah. Because why that? We, we originated it, we yeah. made it dope. And so now everybody wants to come along and yeah. repurpose it so they can make money off of it. It's it's been yeah. happening it's, since, since the beginning, the beginning of, of the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nothing changed at all. It's all the same. So all the man, same. I, I appreciate you for rocking with us. So let everybody know where to find you and just uh, let them know what you have going on. Absolutely. Well, again, I, I thank you guys for having me. You can catch me along with my my co-host Jay Ray on Q Points every Thursday. Uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you can okay. always find us on QPoints.com. You can catch us on Facebook. You can catch us on YouTube, Twitter. We broadcast a lot of different places. And this coming Sunday, EB, for you, I got something special. I got Sugar Honey uh, on the Rocks coming up, which okay. is my vinyl love letter to black women in music. You know, I love it. On Saturdays. Mm. On, from at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm playing strictly vinyl and I'm playing strictly ladies. I'm okay. starting off. I'm going in my um, funk and disco bag on this coming Saturday. I'll be doing yeah. classic hip hop following Saturdays. I'll be doing 90s. You got to catch that 90s vibe. Yeah, it's called Sugar Honey on the Rocks. 
I'll be on Mixcloud. The best thing to do is to follow me on the socials at, at DJ Sir Daniel, and you can um, you can follow me, and you'll see the notifications. Download the Mixcloud app if you don't already have it, or you can go to yeah. mixcloud.com and go to my profile, thesirdaniel.com, on Saturdays, and I will be there spinning my little records just for you. Yeah. So you can, and I let records breathe, y'all. So we need that. Yeah, let we them need, breathe. I love letting the records breathe. Yeah. Take yeah. your ADHD medication <laughs> and tune in. <laughs> Concentrate, hey. do some housework. They say we lose the recipes. It's because y'all not listening to music, aren't good music while you're cleaning up, and the kids yeah. don't see it. Y'all need to they see don't. it. So listen yeah. to me on Saturday for Sugar Honey on the Rocks. I'm with that. Hey, everybody who's out there, please download Miss Cloud because Miss Cloud is just. It's the best app out there for DJs because they give us the permission to play all the songs yes, sir. and mm-hmm. to not take it off, no copyright strikes. So there you go. Please check out Sir Daniel right there. We appreciate you for coming through and yes. I'll be tuned in with you for sure. So listen, I'm so yeah. appreciative and I'm uh, on yeah. behalf of J Ray, I want to extend the invitation to you guys to come and join us on Cue Points, of course, so okay. we can chop it up with you as well. Well, let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. I appreciate you. Hey, you have a good day. Thank you so much, you guys. Have a good night, ladies. I appreciate y'all. So it's about that time. It is about that time for that beat match. So uh, this one, yeah, it's kind of a tough one because I almost feel like I'm going against myself by picking a certain side. But I feel like after really thinking about it, I said, I think I think I know where to go with this. So uh, the beat match is where we take two artists, two groups, producers, songs, albums, etc., whatever it could be. Uh, we we, we uh, ask each other who would come on top in a in a battle and. With that, we have our, our uh, producers, Naledi and Melissa Judge, and they give us, you know, their opinion on who they feel had the strongest argument. So with this one, um, EB. So going back into the 90s, uh, 90s, of course, we talk about that all the time. We Everybody loves 90s R&B. We love how we had those groups in the 90s. So if we had to decide yeah. um, between SWV and TLC, who would your pick be if you had to really pick who would come on top in the battle? Who would you, you know, who would you ride for? You know, <laughs> what, what you gonna do? Yeah, I, 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 listen, I'm, I'm in Brooklyn. Yeah. I'm, I'm in okay. New York. I gotta go. I got, and I know I'm from the South, so I, yeah. I don't want nobody getting mad at me for this. But I gotta go with SWV. Like okay. they are absolutely like they are one of my favorite groups of all time. Especially you talking about the '90s. They're probably like my top. Girl group from the yeah. '90s, but I gotta—it's gotta be Taj Lee. I feel Coco. it. I feel it. I mean, I totally get it. I mean, I'll even say I probably listen to more SWV, but me being unbiased, I have to go TLC. Yeah, I yeah. feel like they just, um, yeah, I'm going TLC. That's all I'm gonna say. So, 
we gonna we gonna get into it. So, as my uh, co-host, I'm gonna let you uh, let let us know why you would pick SWV. Because I mean, I get it. It's one of those where either way, but you know, yeah, either way. But SWV, I think they the magic that is SWV, um, and especially if you go back to like '92 when they debuted, um, it's about time. Is one of um the last like it, it ushered in like that last wave of new jack like there were just it wasn't new jack but there were still various elements of new jack in the music and there are like two songs or three songs on the album that i'm like oh yeah that's a new jack song versus influence but um they came out hard i mean they came out with um the side hole anthems like you know right off the bat they came with like the i'm so into you um i think when comparing them to TLC, I feel that SWV has this authenticity that just really can't be topped. I think, first of all, their talent, um, SWV stands for Sisters with Voices, because their harmonies are so tight. But individually, you got Coco, who is like one of the greatest singers to come out of the nineties who can probably sing almost anything. Um, you Taj has like this really, uh, jazzy voice and like energy for days. And then you got Lily who, even though Lily's voice sounds like Coco light, it's like, just like light and airy. She's always singing the like deepest or the lowest parts of their songs, but their songs just hit so hard. And then by the time we got the, um, right here the human nature remix with the michael jackson uh sample i think that is really what set it off for me um and speaking of that swv they just have this thing with remixes like you know the anything remix with wu-tang and then you got the 96 anthem for i'm so into you like i think that swv if you if you want to have a night where you're dancing, you got to pick SWV. And, and that's not to say that TLC doesn't have um, songs that you can, you know, dance to, but especially thinking back to the albums that they released in the nineties, I feel that SWV, it sounds like it's nineties because it's the element of the nineties, but it doesn't sound dated. And I feel like sometimes TLC can sound dated, especially if you play in some of their up-tempo songs, like you're like, okay, that's not something that would really fly today. And just like for nostalgic sake, like parties don't really go up for TLC's songs in the same way that they do for SWV, all great songs, but People don't really react the same. Like I, I've never seen um, somebody play "Weak" and someone in the crowd not singing it. Like I've never heard um, "I'm So Into You" and I ain't seen nobody bounce into it. Like, yeah, you could play the TLC stuff because I'm a dance, but it just don't hit the same. I mean, I, I hear you. I hear you. So I mean, I feel like the thing with TLC as a whole is that they were one of the most groundbreaking, influential type groups, and they had they they reach heights that. Barely anybody before or after has reached, especially within their lanes. So initially, a lot of folks know the story how they had um, they had a different makeup uh, before, you know, beforehand. When they first came out, they had Crystal Jones and Crystal Jones was actually her concept was actually kind of making them like a female version of BBD, which is probably why they had a three three uh, letter acronym for their their name. And of course, they had to switch up. She ended up leaving and they got the current um, iteration, uh, you know, iteration current uh, up to 
left eyes passing, I should say at least. But um, but with that, I feel like TLC they were just so groundbreaking. The fact that they were just like how BBD was, but they got way further than BBD. They were basically they they're able to make any type of song because they had, of course, T Boz just had that voice. It's like she didn't have to be, she didn't have to hit every note. She didn't have to be a, an amazing singer because she had a very signature voice. That when you heard that voice. Only she could do it. So it's like she had that. Then you had Chili who had the, the cool, smooth vocals. Then you had Left Eye as the actual rapper. So it's like with that, they had songs that kind of catered to each artist on each each song. I mean, each album, I should say. Each album had songs where you could say, okay, that's the, that's the time for Chili to shine. This song, you're going to have uh, T-Bot shine. This one, you're going to let Left Eye just kind of go off. So with that, I feel like they're a very creative group and it's very experimental. And uh, with with saying that, they're, that their upbeat songs do sound dated today, I get what you mean, because it's like, I'm not really playing hat to the back at, back at a party as much, but I feel like, baby, 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 I'm playing that for sure. I'm playing Creep for sure. And if you were there in the moment and you hear him um, kick your game, you're going to get hyped for that. Kick your game. JD did his thing on that beat. So I feel like they still had those jams that, like, even some of their album cuts, like, those are the ones that are, are my personal favorites. And I think um, the, the heights that they reached, because, I mean, you look at Waterfalls, the video alone was probably still top three 90s videos ever. And just the way that the video kind of illustrated that song. Because if you heard the song on the radio and you're not really listening to the story as much, it might not really hit you. But watching that video and the little breakdown that they would add when they, they would show from the condom getting put away and all that, it's like, that was so creative, but it tied perfectly into what that group was. They were legendary in that way. They were groundbreaking and they were fear, they were fearless. Like, Left Eye had the condom on her glasses. And it's crazy how as, as much as, as adults and everybody was pro-condoms, it was controversial because, like, why does she have a condom? Because she's encouraging sex. And it's more so like, no, we're teens. Teens have sex. We're just saying be safe with it. So it's like they were they were that that uh, blatant about it. So I feel like they were groundbreaking in that sense. They were definitely a, a much more youthful group. So they were kind of aimed at a younger crowd, especially with that first album. I mean, you see the videos. You see the video for Baby, Baby, Baby. They're on the college campus and just seeing how they had that concept was dope. But by the time they got to that Crazy Sexy Cool, they grew up a whole lot more and now you get the red light special, and now you're getting Creep. And Creep is one of those, like, it's a reverse side chick anthem, you know, in a sense. It's basically saying, you do what you do, I'm going to do what I do. But whenever you put that song on, even kids who are born 10 years after, they they hitting that Creep dance. And even seeing how the Atlanta episode had them dressed up in the TLC pajamas. Like, they're iconic even beyond just what they did musically. And then they had the... um. They gave us the theme song to all that. So even that, it's like, and they kept that theme song for a long time. And that was prime mid-90s. And it sounds 90s for sure, but I would say that doesn't sound dated. I feel like when you hear that, that uh, that all that anthem, everybody knows Left Eye's voice on that. And even whenever they, they, they would split up and do their own thing, like Left Eye would give us tracks like on um, Not Tonight, the remix, of course, with Kim and Missy and Brat. And she did her thing. And I feel like Left Eye was actually a, a dope, dope rapper. It's where, because she was in the group, a lot of times folks might not give her the same credit as they do mentioning the uh, the, the Brats and Lil' Kims and Foxies. But it's like, even though she she was seen as some of a teeny bopper in a sense, being in a teen group, she could spit. She always was in pocket. Her flow was always on, on point. And she had her own style and a uniqueness to her. And when they came back in 99, they, they, they went through all the issues they had, but they came back with those hits. Silly Ho, I don't care for Silly Ho. I ain't going to front. But when they gave us no scrubs, like, I hated the song as a kid, but I hated it because it was so dope that it made five-year-old girls and 10-year-old girls talk about they ain't want scrubs. I'm like, you don't need a boyfriend anyway, but, but, but you don't even need to be talking about a scrub. But it was just such an infectious song that I feel like they, they came with, with these types of hits that were just groundbreaking. 
uh, I, I always, anytime anybody mentions the um, Waterfalls video, I just yeah. always got to give a shout out to the probably greatest actor of all time, Bokeem Woodbine, <laughs> for his portrayal in the video. But um, uh, I, I, I hear, yeah, legendary. Yeah. I hear everything you're saying, and I, I agree. Uh, the way that TLC was able to kind of um, throw out that Southern culture and, and that young... Uh, college kid like they that's who that's who they they were getting them especially with the first album and then by the time crazy sexy cool came you know they had come into themselves but i feel like they primarily worked with um one group or one set of producers um and they didn't have uh as versatile a sound in that regard like swv could work with like missy on like can we or like puff on someone and then they could go and work with e40 and work with red man and then just the fact that they had a whole christmas album not just a christmas song but a whole christmas album i think swv is one of those groups that at the time although they didn't reach the commercial success that tlc had the substance was there like you got Coco singing songs like um, Weak, of course, but then on the opposite side of that, you got Rain, you know, that is still uh, 30 years, still almost 30 years. It's still like one of those songs that's coming back around and you're talking about like how pristine those vocals are. I think SWV as a group, um, they took their break, of course, um, but even their comeback album for uh, I Missed Us, like when they hit with that cosign, they were everywhere and it still had a very SWV sound without sounding like they were trying to be whoever was hot, you know, in the early 2000 or the 2010s when that dropped. Um, TLC, I love T-Boz's voice. I know it's a thing that people don't like it. I never got that because I love her voice. But I think at this point, you know, Anybody can do that. Like everybody sounds like or everybody could sound like that. I think with SWV, like like nobody can sound like Coco. Like nobody, no other group could have, you know, those tight harmonies. And I don't know if anybody's ever listened to um, the background vocals on week, um, especially during the chorus and not what Coco's singing. But they're like so pristine. That's just like something that they had. And they brought that New York flavor that East Coast vibe, that, that you know, that swagger, they brought that and they made that their thing. You know, they they were they were nasty and they owned it. You know, you know, TLC was talking about being nasty with the condom. SWV was like, nah, I don't care who it is, I don't need that. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they made they made side chick raw dog music, and and that's okay because that that's that's been their legacy. But outside of that, like. They just sound so good, and their songs don't really get old. Like, you hear any of their songs today from um, any of their five albums now, I guess, and you're going to jam to it no matter what it is. Like, if you hear I'm So Into You, you're going to go in. If you hear You're The One, you're going to go in. You remember the video for You're The One when they're, like, dressed like supermodels at a photo shoot, and they still got um, French rolls in their hair and buns. Like, you know, they they were, like, be, being... Uh, women in a different way than TLC was at that time. I get it. And I mean, I feel like they were, they're, they're a, a, an older group, a more mature group, of course. But I think even with that, what's crazy is I feel like TLC possibly opened the doors for them to even come out that year. Cause even though they're both in 92, uh, you had TLC who dropped like earlier in the year, like February, you had, um, as the review is more later in the year, like November. And I feel like TLC did kind of open the gate for a lot more groups. I feel like 
their lineage kind of shows even stronger. They have the groups. I would say almost every single youthful group that came um, from the, from uh, after that followed TLC more so than um, SWV. So I'm saying Destiny's Child. I would say Black. I would say Cherish. I would say 3LW. I would say a lot of them had a lot more similarities, especially 3LW and uh, Black. It was where they had the one who, who could rap. That you know, similar kind of songs, similar kind of content. So I think in that in that sense. TLC was definitely, I would say, more influential than SWV, even beyond the music. I feel like just their image and them coming out, uh, really being like tomboyish. They came out with those baggy jeans and clothes, and it's where, after that, you saw groups who were even older than them kind of using that. It's like, because, of course, we had the Jades. We had the, of course, uh, SWV, of course, and other groups that came in that era, Brownstone, everybody else who had that hip-hop type of sound. But I think TLC came in, and theirs was really, like, in a sense, some of their songs that sound dated sound that way because they is so true to what hip-hop was. And they really did kind of say, we're going all the way hip-hop even more than Mary did in, in a sense at times. Because, like, to me, if, you, if you're listening to, like, Hat to the Back, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, that sounds like Bomb Squad production. So it's like, even though it was Dallas Austin who made most of their production, I feel like like a lot of Mary stuff was hip-hop in the sense of taking, you know, the hip-hop drums, but taking these, these um, 70s, 80s R&B samples while TLC was, their production was more so chopping up these samples, using these crazy synths that sound like it could have been a crisscross song, or it could have been, it could have been a um a Chuck D, or it could have been anybody from that era. So I think with that, TLC did have an even stronger hip hop influence, and that's what kind of led to a lot more of what we heard that that followed followed after that. And so even hearing how they remade songs, I mean, back to you, back to you. I mean, okay, I, I get all of that. Um, just some of the some of the SWV songs, and they, they might not have been the best sellers, but if you hear them today, you're gonna be on your ass jamming. You got right here, you got I'm so into you, you got weak, you got downtown, you're always on your mind, anything, and that's just the first album. Like that that's how hard it went. You got you're the one, use your heart. When you got Taj coming in with the bridge of all bridges, like possibly the greatest bridge of the 90s, you got Taj coming in on that. You got It's All About You that Taj led. You got Can We with Missy, Someone with Puff, Lose My Cool with Redman. You got Rain. Then they took almost a 15-year break and came back with Cosign, Love Unconditionally, and Ain't No Man. Like it, it's They're one of those groups that no matter... What happens no matter um, if they fight, they separate, they go their separate ways. Because Coco had her solo album. She had Sunshine and she'd done a whole lot of features. Like, they still, they will always sound like SWV. And even... Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely feel it. They had they had plenty of hits. And I mean, on the flip side, TLC had so many that sounded so much different in different lanes. They had the Ain't Too Proud to Begs. They had What About Your Friends, which every young kid was singing on the playground back then. Along with the Baby, Baby, Baby and Hat to the Back. They gave you, like, the thing is, uh, we know how Prince is. Prince don't like nobody touching his songs. He he let them remake their songs twice. Only, really, Tupac can say he even had two Prince samples. So, for that, I mean, he, he turned down Biggie and, and Puffy. So, for them to redo, uh, you know, uh, you know, If I Was Your Girlfriend and Get It Up, like, that just shows how much respect they had to get Prince to sign, sign up on them twice. And they had, uh, of course, as as, a, as we had the Christmas album, I would say, but... With that one song, the sleigh ride, you hear that all the time. That one Christmas song, I would say trumps the whole SWV album. As much as I love their album, I feel like sleigh ride is always getting played. You still hear that in movies to this day. Whenever it's a black movie or or a Lifetime movie, whatever, they're gonna show that. And then you know they they had those jams. So with that, um, let's go ahead and <laughs> so you, you, you come back in. 
Oh, my bad. Come back in on uh, Lifetime movies. Like Lifetime movie though, right? <laughs> look, them black Lifetime movies. Look, everybody until you watch those at Christmas time. So uh, yeah, they, they, they gave us those. They gave us everything from fan mail. They gave us the, that's disrespectful. Unpretty un, un, un was was that's a jam disrespectful. That, yeah, nah, it, I'm we, saying. Bell I'm over. Saying. Be, the we bell done. is over. We, we don't count that. Yeah. We don't count oh, the, the last oh, couple. Oh. oh, the bell. Okay, okay, the bell. The bell hit. All right, all right. Well, we're going to have to uh, pass this one to our producers, uh, Naledi and Melissa. Uh, let us know. Um, I know uh, Left Eye is Philly, so Naledi might have a little bit of Philly in there, but who knows? We'll give it to y'all. Concerts. Concert experiences. I know she's seen I... TLC. I don't remember seeing TLC. I don't think so. Now I think what? about it. I don't think so. Um, unless they oh, were at one of those like radio nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah. About to say. <laughs> yeah, they could have been a part of them. I don't they remember pro- that. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, at first I was definitely annoyed. Like, <laughs> why would y'all do this again every week? Um, yeah. but I think uh, the arguments were strong, but uh, it was kind of like on artistic side you focused on also like the diversity of TLC, like their range, I guess. Um, and I felt like that was good when SWV, definitely one of my favorite groups. So just their their catalog and, and that was just super strong for me. And the replay value was a great point, EB. So it was, it was harder than I thought it, it should be, but... Um, I feel like I have to go with a tie because I think TLC's impact is was is and still was is huge, but SWV their impact was different and and it was kind of like a mainstream versus strictly kind of R and B and like kind of mm-hmm. staying in, in the lane of the black black music, and yeah. uh, I just couldn't really I couldn't really choose one. Got you. Okay, okay. Yeah. All good. Fair, fair. Melissa, are you over there looking at us like <laughs> you want to slap like somebody? No. You're going to virtually Y'all slap me? Look. Like, I have playlists that's just the two of them on them. Wow. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and so when y'all said it, I was pissed. Yeah, you, um, I didn't you came know on camera y'all, to give yeah, us that yeah. look. Yeah, she came on camera. She'll never do that. I was yeah. like, oh, she... She, I, she broke out of, out of her producer fourth window. She just like... Fourth wall, I should say. She just said, mm-hmm. "Uh, I, I think I'm gonna have to go with wrong with TLC." Mm. Okay, yeah. okay. It's a close one. I mean, it's one yeah. of those. As we said, it can really go either way. It depends on you know what you're judging it based off of. So, yeah. I mean, I'll say when it comes to parties, I probably play. I play SWV a little bit more. I mean, Week definitely has the greatest reaction, but I feel like. For, for some reason, I think a lot of the younger crowds do like um, TLC more. It could be because they just have more of that impact with the kids and they have more of that youthful presence. And the, the, they had the movie, too. They had the movie, the docu. Uh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's a good know, movie. So, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, they did have a, Yeah, so that yeah. I gave them kind of additional exposure with the different generations. But all right, with that, so you know what, what that means. Everybody on social media, go ahead and hit us with that hashtag, Behind the Wheels Pod. Let us know who you feel... Um, will come on top or who you pick between the two groups. And along with that, if you have any suggestions for 
any segments that we have for the drop for a beat match, go ahead and send us an email behind the wheels pod at gmail.com. And please make sure to rate and review us on Apple and Spotify podcast. Now it helps everybody else to find our show. So we appreciate y'all for being tuned in EB. Where can they find you at? Let them know. Same place everywhere. Social media EB for press. That's EB the number four and press is spelled P R E Z as in Zasha the one that beat match. Oh, okay. You should have won it. All right. Well, <laughs> Wales, unfortunately, you know, it was close, close to being a tie, but you know, I won it overtime. Yeah, I hit that little it. shot okay. at the buzzer. I'll give it to you. Yeah. Had to edge it out, but you know, but we appreciate you for your effort, you know. Appreciate the effort. That's fucked but, up. <laughs> it happens. And I am, everybody who's listening, follow me at DJRTISTIC on Instagram and Twitter. And we will see you all um, next episode. We appreciate y'all for being tuned in. Artistic signing out. We out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Montz and the Lady Set. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.